0: Welcome to the intersection of technology, cybersecurity
1: and society. Welcome to ITSP Magazine. Join us on our journey into the past, the present and the future as we explore the relationship between technology and humanity. Together, we are going to find out what it means to live in a society where everything is connected and the only constant is change. Knowledge is power. Now, more than ever.
2: Nintex is the global standard for business process management and automation. The Nintex platform helps their clients accelerate progress on their digital transformation journeys by quickly and easily managing, automating, and optimizing business processes. Learn more at nintex.com.
0: Blue Lava is the first business platform for CISOs to manage their security program. Blue Lava guides security leaders to effectively measure, optimize, and communicate their security program with confidence and ease in one platform. Learn more at bluelava.net.
3: Don,
1: you're going to get bored with this, but I'm going to say that anyway, story time. Is it
3: story time? <laughs> yeah, always story is time. Is it story time today or story time tomorrow? Story time in the future. In the future. It's the, uh, it's the world we want, or is it?
1: <laughs> I have no <laughs> idea. Let's see. There so. are uh, there are some scenarios that we're going to look at today, and uh, it's, it's more about technology and cybercrime, so we're not going to predict the lottery numbers or anything like that. So if people are listening for that, it's time to switch podcasts. <laughs> but this is going to be interesting. It's with uh, a, a good friend of ours and a new friend of ours, uh, hopefully, after this, if we behave well. And uh, and we're going to look at uh, 2030, from what I'm understanding.
3: You know, 2030, but, but also rooted in work that these two have done. Uh, looking at 2020 back back in the day. So let's get into it, Marco. First yeah, off, let's let's figure out who we're talking with here. <laughs> so yeah. we have Victoria Baines and, and Rick Ferguson. Thank you both for joining us. And Victoria, I'm going to pass the ball to you. A uh, quick few words about uh, what you're up to and uh, the, the passion or the driver behind uh, this particular research and, and work you're working on.
2: Hey, Sean. Hey, Marco. Um, yeah, I'm actually thrilled to be speaking to you today with Rick about Project 2030. And and yes, as you rightly say, it has roots in the, the prehistory of cybercrime futures. Back in 2012, when I was a Europol officer, so I was working at the European Cybercrime Centre, and I retrained as a, a futurist. And I thought, you know, we've got tons of these short-term threat predictions come out every year and that's all well and good but quite often they say the same as last year but a bit more so we're going to see more of these threats that we saw you know for the last few months they of course have their place they're really useful um but what I was seeing time and again was you know governments and law enforcement all around the world being surprised by the evolution of cyber threats and I thought well Look, we know a couple of things about cybercrime and cybercriminals. We know that there are people out there who will always want to do bad things to other people, and we also know that criminals will make the best use available of the tools that are out there at their disposal. So with those two constants, you can kind of hazard a guess, an imaginative guess, um, at how cybercrime will develop in the next few years So in 2012, we got a team of folks together, and we also worked with Rick and his team at at Trend Micro to build a world, right? So rather than saying, right, how will this particular threat, how will ransomware play out um, in the next few years? We look at building the world with reasonable technological developments to a certain horizon, and we picked 2020, um, so we developed these scenarios. Um, it was actually a, a fictional uh, state called the Republic of South Sylvania. Um, we had a central character who was a female, which in 2012 was quite unusual for, in law enforcement, dare I say. Um, and we, we kind of played out um, those scenario narratives, how technology could be misused as it applied to governments as cybersecurity stakeholders, um, to businesses, um, but also to individual citizens. And, and all of those kind of interacted and interweaved with each other. Um, then in 2020, um, Rick and I had kept in touch and Rick said, hey, I wonder how we did. We feels like we hit a lot of really good bases there. Um, and so Rick and the team asked me to start reviewing how we did, right? And this is something which doesn't happen very often. Not only were we, to the best of my knowledge, the first group of people to start looking at cybercrime futures, but also, it's the first futures exercise that I know of where we kind of did our own scorecard and tried to work out how well we'd done. Actually, it turned out we hadn't done that too badly. Um, and it's I reckon really we got all you know. but We, we did, did really it. well, sorry. we be, be
0: less British about it, we did really damn well. <laughs>
2: We did all right. <laughs> we got all yeah. but two, I think, of the criminal <laughs> threats um, that actually transpired in in 2020. Um, and I've, I've I've overlooked a really really important part of 2020, which Rick can tell you about. Jump to head, Rick. I apologise. That's
0: all right. We'll be all over the place in this podcast, I'm yeah. sure. <laughs> oh,
1: yeah, of will. course, Rick you, is your you, turn.
0: Exactly. Go. Um, well, I mean, yeah. There's there's um, <laughs> To paraphrase a comedian you never will have heard of, there's more. Um, <laughs> Vic knows what I'm talking about. Um, so um, uh, with, with Vic's group at Europol back in 2012, we published in 2013 um, and at the time, and to be honest, I don't know if it's just me, maybe, maybe you can sanity check me here. For me, 2020 always always felt like it was still a long time away, even at the beginning of 2020, it still felt like that was a year in the future. So it was a really great milestone to have. Um, and we were involved at trend, I think we were initially asked to do the, um, the baselining part of the exercise as relates to the cybersecurity industry. So to look at all of those short term predictions that, that Vic was talking about and to try and find some common ground or, or consensus that where does the weight of industry opinion sit in the year 2012 about what's coming over the next 12 months. So then what can we extrapolate out from that for the next eight years? Um, When the report was finally published, within Trend, we were like, this is great. This is amazing stuff. We're really lucky to have been involved, and it's turned out really well. Um, But we want to do more with it because one of the things that I think we're really good at in our industry um, is talking to ourselves and talking to an echo chamber and preaching to the choir and not really engaging the people that really need to be engaged in the conversation. Um, A lot of people look at our industry and think it's very closed, not very welcoming. We use a lot of buzzwords and a lot of acronyms, and we don't invite people in. Uh, and we'll never succeed if we keep doing that. So we were thinking, what can we do with this? It was, I think, 26, 27-page white paper. What can we do with this hefty document, um, which, by the way, if if you want to go back in time and read it, or if you want to read the review that, that Vic mentioned, you can find both of them still at 2020.trendmicro.com. That's all still available for download there. What you will also find there is our answer to that: How do we get the wider community more involved? We ended up making a nine-episode sci-fi whodunit murder mystery web series. Each episode was about between uh, four and six minutes long, and we had a hacktivist, we had a cyber criminal. We actually, well, I won't tell you more because it ruins the story. Hopefully, yeah, don't, you,
2: spoil, oh, it. don't exactly. spoil it. Don't
0: spoil it. You 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 only find out um, what happened and who did what in the very final episode. So it was written as a, a sci-fi murder mystery, put a bunch of Easter eggs in there. If you like Blade Runner or some other sci-fi stuff, you'll find a few little Easter eggs in the scenery or in the script. There's all kinds of cool stuff. Um, but the, the intent was to make something which was firmly grounded in the the conjecture, but the the the, the, the assumed fact of 2020 in that white paper. So the story that we tell, and the world that we created on video is exactly the world that was described in that document and we have a narrative take place in that world to bring it to life um and what we have done um subsequent to that because everyone at Fort literally all the years after all this got released in 2013 has been bugging me constantly saying when are we going to do the next one that was amazing can we do it again can we do it again and actually that's where the pressure to do the review came from so okay let's do a review that's a good way but then straight out of that they're like okay 2030 project 2030 is next so do it and that's what we were talking about at rsa is the the, the paper which was uh, which was published um in may uh which is project 2030 which is taking the lessons from um the work that we've done uh previously and applying them and Doing some some more amazing forward thinking, involving uh, uh, actually this time a, a good community of practitioners within the security industry to get their feedback on assumptions that that, that we've made um, to kind of sanity check ourselves. And Vic came over here, uh, and in the in the midst of pandemic, there was a window when mm. travel was still okay before it will locked down again. So luckily, Vic was able to come here, and we had a couple of days of just sitting together and just talking through the whole thing and, and um, really refining it out into this, this Project 2030 document. And the thing that I said at the beginning that you probably don't know, why should you know, we're making another web series. So that will be coming right. out in September, uh, ooh, fingers crossed, we're literally writing scripts as we speak. Uh, that'll be coming out in September um, this year as well. So much more to come on this subject
1: very cool so one thing that i i definitely agree with you rick this industry always talks to to himself and i don't even know if they listen to themselves sometimes (laughs) (laughs) but but, uh what what is important is when you create this kind of scenario you create a narrative a script and you tell a story you know the power of storytelling then you you reach uh, the, the everyday people They they are interested in what the future may look like. And we're always pointing finger to the users. And if we don't educate them, uh, we're not going to get anywhere. But the truth is we're already embedding this technology in everything we do every day in our daily life, our kids. And and with the pandemic, we've seen that even more, this digital acceleration. So I think it's really important when you develop these scenarios to also consider that you balance a little bit of prediction and, and a little bit of I don't know if I'm gonna say fantasy, but you know you 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 can never know if you're really gonna get there. I mean it's I was constant. expecting I was expecting to have flying cars by now, but the Jetson yeah. were clearly wrong. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So it's Victoria, disappointing. <laughs> so Victoria, tell us a little bit more um and get into actually what, what this uh, scenarios that you're touching on are about
2: and and you know Marco you've described the process really well because I always describe it to people as um it's um an artistic endeavor based in scientific methodology right so we we mapped out a really clear quite simple methodology but you know you do a whole load of open source scanning to find out you know what patents have been filed for particular, um, you know, technological tools and particular um, technologies. Um, then, as Rick was saying, you test some of those timelines. So, um, you know, we did a, an online survey with over a hundred uh, practitioners, information security experts, data um, protection and privacy experts, and we asked them bonkers questions, like, for instance. And the one that always sticks with me, Rick, is um, by 2030 we will print our own food at home. Yeah. Right. And then you ask them, is that reasonable? Is that too ambitious? Is that not ambitious enough? And actually, we consciously to to make it more interesting and make it more thought provoking, because it's only a possible future, not a straight threat prediction. Um, you know, we we said to them, well, we're gonna we're gonna aim to be actually slightly too ambitious. So not necessarily the flying cars scenario, but we don't want to be under ambitious because then we're really just describing next year, which is, you know, the kind of defeats the object of doing something that's a little bit more creative. Um, So the world that we've created, um, unfortunately, you know, we had this discussion when you've already done an exercise like this. It's really tempting to say, okay, well, we'll go back to the Republic of South Sylvania. But you can't do that, of course, because it's got to be a 2030 that springs off from the 2020 you've already described, right? So you're kind of, you're playing with people's futures like that, which is quite a responsibility. Um, But for 2030, we thought, right, a different uh, fictional uh, government and city-state. And I wanted to get, and I think, you know, we, we both felt that I'm speaking on behalf of you. My my,
0: my co-creator,
2: I... my co-creator and I um, wanted Even to my kind wife of hit was involved
0: in the naming of the country as well. I think
2: exactly. Yeah, I think, yeah right? she absolutely was. She absolutely yeah. was. I think we've probably got a word each um, <laughs> that <laughs> this fictional city state is called New San Joban, right? So it it's all that you know the the, the best that we have of. Um, kind of high-tech East Asian culture, the best that we have of Silicon Valley, and then putting the kind of absolute novelty on it. Um, and, that, and that's really where we came to in, in New San Joban. Um, and we have uh, a manufacturer because we wanted to focus also on some of the supply chain aspects that we already know about, but additive manufacturing, uh, additive manufacturing in space, You know, 4D printing in space.
0: Yeah, (laughs) talk about it it in space. That's my rule (laughs) Um, of thumb in life.
2: And and really, you know, trying to think about how some of the current concerns that we've had over the past few months about techno wars, about trade wars between some of the world's largest powers and how that's brought technology very much to the forefront of, of geopolitical wrangling, you know, how that might play out. Um, in a little city state like new san jobban, but it's a smart city state it's a city state where you know we've talked about uh, the context of the pandemic and everybody working from home and 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 lockdown and all of that really looking about uh, uh, not going back um to old ways of working and what would happen if a city state really embraced that and um you know recolonized its its commercial uh, spaces in city centres. Um and yeah, we you had know, a you lot didn't... of
0: discussion yeah. really, about the, the the lasting effects and and of course mm. the ones that weren't lasting of the pandemic because we had started talking about and discussing Project 2030 before COVID. Yeah. Um, that it, as in airing the possibility and, and and so once you've aired the possibility every so often you you come back to it and you think about it and you think, oh yeah I wonder, I wonder what if and then the world changed and the world changed you know un- under our feet for all of us uh and it had to radically alter a lot of the assumptions that we had made um prior to actually setting them down in writing as well so we had to think you know what what kind of things will stick around for good will change the way that we live will change the way that we work and what which ones are transient you know, they, they they we put them in place because we have to but very soon we'll go back um and rick yeah. can,
3: you, can you give us some examples of the scenarios that you're painting because I often find you, you mentioned we talk to ourselves in the industry. I often think that we also keep tech separate from the kinetic or physical world, and tech kind of does its own thing, and then we we live in our physical space. Yet, and I've I've been with you at IrisCon a few times where we've had Interpol and Europol uh, Europol folks speak to child trafficking and and other crazy things that are very heavy tech, very heavy cyber yet directly and, and disgustingly impact us in our physical world. So are there scenarios like that where, that you've come up with that connect the, us as humans in the physical world impacted by the tech?
0: That's how the paper's formulated and actually it's how the 2020 paper was formulated. The, 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 the sections that are gonna engage people the most from an imaginative perspective are three, and it is the future from the perspective of an individual, the future from the perspective of a manufacturer and the future from the perspective of a nation state. And those sections of the document, I mean, there are others like how did we baseline what are the implications for stakeholders? What do future criminal threats look like? They're all based around these three scenarios and they are exactly that. And so, you know, I was talking about what kind of changes will stick around and what will go. Um, Our protagonist, uh, Rasilla, she um, lives at home with her kids and she works from home because most people now work from home. The offices are remote, even in another country. Nobody really has to travel to work. In this, in New San Joban, um, public transport rules all um, and environmentally <sighs> conscious public trans- transport uh, rules all. And we go into actually a great amount of detail about how that um, microeconomy functions in terms of f- fuel and power and electricity. And we also say, for example, that in the um in the downtown areas she she works at home and she plays downtown because the downtown has been recolonized for uh clubs coffee uh recreational areas the traffic's gone the offices are gone because what companies did after the great pandemic uh was to begin to divest themselves of their property portfolios uh and over the intervening decade uh Cities, states, towns have all had to find new ways to repurpose that real estate because, um, you know, remember white flight from New York City in the in the 70s, they were faced with a rapidly emptying um, city center uh, and no, no town or state can can allow that to happen because it descends into into madness or at least disrepair very very quickly so it's all recolonized and focused around recreational and leisure activities from the consumer perspective we talk about um sensors in and, and wearables within clothing within uh, home equipment that deal with uh, diet that deal with exercise that deal with the uh, reordering clothes they're in exactly the right size because your clothes know when your waist has got bigger by two centimeters or whatever it might be um immersive
2: embodied embodied cyber is a embodied really big feature yeah, a of context, of yeah. of the scenarios yeah. yeah and 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 you know for me, that is as much about a r and vr as it is about um you know connected medical devices, which yeah. you know we've seen the hacks at Black Hat and Defcon every year for the last ten years and and you know that's that's great that's a nice signal for all of that, but you know let's not forget about the neural implants that are coming our way <laughs> sooner than we than some of us would like. Um, Mm. And also one of the things we really thought about was how does influence operations and disinformation work when you're not looking at a screen at arm's length, when content is being delivered right in front of your eyes and you can't step away from it. So. You know, what are the mitigation measures for that? Yes, we're going to need technical measures to to deal with that. But also, how does that affect humans and the need for them to have critical thinking skills, perhaps more than ever, because they can't step away from the screen. It's going to be delivered right in front of them. And that will include, of course, kids who will be, you know, very, very soon, not even in, in 2030, but using AR and VR, much more in, in gaming, but also in education. How does that play out over the next few years?
0: And also, where's the intersection for cybersecurity professionals um, in terms of responding to incidents like that with mental health professionals? That, that that Those two worlds, which really have had very little connection, I think, historically, will begin to move much closer together. If you're talking about having illegal and criminal activity that can have lasting mental effects, then those, those worlds necessarily, uh, will have to get much, much closer. So there, there are a lot of, um, really interesting. And this is what, what Vic was talking about at the beginning, when she said, you know, when we put all of these things together in one, because this is all the advances that we thought reasonable, um, that we could fit into one document. Uh, but we have them all taking place in one very small Singapore like, nation state right one like city state we're, what we're not saying is that all of this is going to happen in a single location this will all be globally distributed but in order to be able to draw out the interdependencies uh, and the the consequences and the cross-pollination of uh, of change uh, if we put them all in one place it allows you to to work out well If if education, one of the things we say, for example, is instant access to all of the world's knowledge means that the system of education has changed its focus from being one based on knowledge acquisition to one being based on knowledge processing, which is a fundamental change in how you educate kids, right? Because all the world's knowledge is instantly available, nobody has to learn anything anymore. What they do have to learn is, how do I deal with all these facts? What do I do with all these facts? Um and, and putting all of these things together in, in one smaller geographical area allows us to, to work out what that might mean.
1: So I have a question because I'm envisioning this uh Mad Max future, but it's not that bad.
0: Hey, there's there there is no petrol, but I think for a different
1: <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, but there's this Singapore like I can see like this, you know, back alley kind of like Tokyo in, in my mind. And um, So when you put all this together, your feeling, is is that a a good outcome of what we're going to be or it's more of a of a scariest scenario? And I'm sure there is a little bit of both. But, you know, like, Victoria, like, what's your feeling Mm. when you were like grouping this thing together and like draw a line and be like, hmm, good, hmm, bad?
2: So it's it's pros and cons, absolutely. and there are haves and have nots in this kind of future in in, in any kind of future, there are that haves and have nots. there is there were definitely times where we put certain technologies and certain vulnerabilities together and we thought, oh, that's scary. That's quite scary. But then there are hugely enabling technologies, you know it's as, as scary as we find neural implants. The fact that they are going to be massively enabling for medically vulnerable people has got to be a hugely beneficial thing for, for society. So, you know, there are, there are the, we wanted to highlight the positive impacts as, as much as the negative. But I think what is constant across the whole thing is the dependency on good information security and good data protection and, and how, to some extent, there will need to be greater aggregation of data sets for certain things to have to happen. So from a, a political and, and governance perspective, um, we talk about there uh, having been a decision made in some countries, but not others, to aggregate different data sets across transport, you know, for, for a single individual like Racilla, our main character, um, you know, th- that if your education and your transport Um, and your local authority, you know, kind of when you put your garbage out, do you put too much garbage out? Do you not recycle? You know, could you be punished on public transport if you don't recycle the garbage that you're supposed to recycle? You know, all of those contingencies have impacts in a circular economy, but they also have implications for the security of that data and the protection of that data. And we also, you know, we we thought, well, there are gonna be some people for whom that just isn't cool. What are those people gonna do if they're, you know, particularly privacy-minded? And we've, we've certainly built the idea of differential privacy and greater individual control over data into um, the future that of New San Joban. But we've also come up with a, a group of people called the, the splitters um, who've decided that they're not having any of this and they're effectively going to live off data grid. Now, if you live off data grid, um, you can't really be a fully functioning and enfranchised member of New San Joban, right? So what do you do? You kind of do live in a slightly mad max version of the future or at least you're you're living out of town uh, okay. with not all of the access to all of those services of the in services the city exactly.
0: yeah because yeah. the services fundamentally are powered by by the data that's collected and aggregated so if you if you choose to opt out whether it's a you know in the splitter scenario that that's in the in the document or even if it's a Uh, an official uh, tick box opt out. I don't want my data collected, whatever the mechanism for your opting out, the consequences will be similar in that you, you may be slightly disenfranchised or or majorly disenfranchised, but you certainly um, won't have access to all of the good stuff that the technology has to offer. You may see less risk personally or as a business as a result, but you also won't have access to the good stuff. Like it's your question marker, right? There's a good side and a bad side to all of it. So
3: Rick, or, or Victoria, who's creating this world? Is it a government entity? Are they elected through democratic processes or are they uh, military-controlled? Is it a commercial <laughs> entity like uh, like a SpaceX or an Amazon? So this... or, or is it some powerful, wealthy... Skynet.
0: It's Skynet. Just a yeah, it's actually Arnold Schwarzenegger is in control of the whole thing. Uh, (laughs) obviously i knew that Um, but no it's i mean we what we're trying to what we have hopefully done is describe an extremely plausible in any uh democratic uh country of today future a decade from now like i said globally distributed and gathered in one place but plausible within a democratic country so the the government of of new san jubin is uh, we don't make any special provisions about the power they have or the, the way that they exercise or wield that power. The assumption is that it's a democratic state. They do have a slightly concerning and significantly more autocratic neighbour, uh, East saint um, and they come into the narrative a bit as well. So that's why I'm saying, although it's not made explicit to the best of my memory in the white paper about how that government functions... I think it's it's very clearly contrasted to a much more autocratic neighbor to make it clear that it is a – we are talking about – democratic society and the first the one that we the scenario we've referenced most so far because i think it's the one we all immediately relate to more is the the scenario about the individual but there is a a a section about a manufacturing which has a, a a big company called corlo who have a 200 year um pedigree of making rubber based materials i'm sure you can find allegories for that in today's world in lots of different companies and countries um and how they were forced to diversify during the great pandemic so they found themselves making stuff for uh, medical purposes and that's led them into the future that they're in today so the world of enterprise has a huge role to play just as it does in in you know western democracies that that we live in um that's where where a lot of innovation happens because that's where there's investment that's where there's money that's where there's higher salaries to attract uh, brighter minds or whatever it may be right but uh, and the third scenario is all about um, about the government. It is a, a city-state, it is deliberately a smaller nation, again, so we could draw out those interdependencies and things. Uh, but nevertheless, a democratic one. In fact, right towards the top of the document, uh, we talk about a referendum that had recently taken place about whether the citizens agreed to aggregate their data or not for government purposes. Uh, and it was a close run thing fifty two forty eight uh, against, so it was accepted as the will of the people for now.
2: Mm. and it's cool that you asked that question because it's exactly what we were exercised with, right? When we were thinking about how new San Joban would look and be governed. um, you know, we were thinking, well, there are you know massively innovative. Uh, slightly more autocratic societies already in the world of 2020 and we've got that big standoff between the U.S. and China. How does that play out in, in the world of 2030? How do c- countries that have different governance regimes, um, it, you know, operate in that world? And and so to some extent that that exactly, you know, it coloured our choice of creating this alternative San Joban that's just next door, but has a slightly different approach to governance, privacy, and information security. And and I think that's particularly in the context of things like, you know, autonomous, uh, lethal autonomous weapons systems and that kind of thing.
3: Yeah, let's, uh, as we get close to the closing here, uh, maybe let's touch on the, the cyber crime element. Uh, and i don't know is it the the nation states against each other s- still <laughs> are the soldiers sure. uh f- factioning and, and breaking off to become cyber criminal where, where, where does that land in this
0: 2020? similar threat actors to today um because I, that kind of you know the players don't really change what changes to a certain extent is the rules of the game rather than the players or the game itself the game for for career cyber criminals the game remains about uh, making money for nation states the game remains about espionage or or commercial advantage you know those are perennials and certainly within the next decade i don't expect any of those to go away um and actually when when we were talking about the um the types of crime we would we would see the categories that they that they come in are all very familiar. They're all about um, unauthorized access. They're all about unlawful interception, exposure of data, manipulation, denial of service. But it's about the ways in which those um, those threats come to life and the effects and the me- so the mechanisms to to carry out an attack and the effects that that attack has once carried out. I'm conscious that I'm speaking too much, so I'm going to let Vic... Well,
2: there's, there's one really, really good example of that, right? So we, we were talking about, okay, so how can AI be misused? And there are some obvious ways that AI can be misused, right? And you can go into the whole rogue robot scenario and all of that. But one of the things that we were thinking about, particularly because there's so much focus at the moment on training sets for AI, would be about manipulation in the sense of poisoning data, So could you poison a data set in such a way that it could influence an outcome? We've already seen how there are kind of unwitting adverse outcomes for certain members of society because of the way AI is fed and trained. Um, So how could we see that becoming perhaps the kind of thing that, you know, state-sponsored or state-affiliated entities are into? And it could end up being quite a slow burn or it could end up being, you know, kind of fast time Uh, influence operations Um, but those those are the kinds of things that we're looking at that might be slightly different from what we're accustomed to at the minute but then you know we were talking about the um, lethal autonomous weapons systems you know what what we might expect to see there that is that is perhaps closer to irresponsible cyber behavior let's say some of the some of the cyberspace governance stuff that we see at the moment rather than Uh, financially motivated cybercrime per se, is that, you know, people – we know that some countries don't always stick to the rules. So even if you develop rules on lethal autonomous weapons systems, um, the good countries will stick to them. The rogue countries might not. Um, So how does that play out when you've got AI-driven, you know, um, lethal weapons?
0: And I mean, other cool stuff in there that really – um, hopefully, will cause people to to do a, a little bit of a double take and think, "Oh wow, I really hadn't thought of that um, that potential outcome." Um, redefinition of an insider threat, for example, if you if your um, organisation is not only populated by a human workforce, but also um, a, a kinetic robotic workforce, probably on a production line, but also uh, a lot of autonomous, artificially intelligent digital entities, uh, or even just algorithms that are running services based on these data lakes that, that could potentially be poisoned, we're going to have to totally rethink our definition of what is an insider threat, because where previously an insider threat has referred only to a human in your offices, an insider threat in the very near future could quite as easily be an algorithm as a person.
1: Wow. So when is the movie coming out again? Because I want to watch it we, see are, it. we are
0: quite literally writing the script, <laughs> as we speak, but the the target is that we will be releasing, I think, one episode a week, and we're going to start in September. So we, right. we haven't got long to go. We're definitely yeah. shooting it this summer because goodbye coronavirus, finally, <laughs> uh, to, to the extent where we'll at least be able to film things. Right. Uh, and if you're hungry for... Uh, a, a, you know, a view of what that might be like, all the 2020 stuff, the the, the original white paper, the comparative review paper, and all nine episodes of the 2020 uh, web series, which is just fun to watch, are all still available at that that URL, 2020.trainmicro.com.
1: Yep. Well, a lot to talk about. I am sure a lot of angles that we haven't even touched, but it's, it's kind of like nice <laughs> how I really like... How you being a fan of sci-fi and fantasy? How you created this this world, right? You created a world to describe what the society may look like, and and I think that's going to help us our audience, which is not strictly cybersecurity in this channel, the audio signals, and and the, and I feel like in a way, I really felt like at a certain point we we were discussing a book. You know, it wasn't just right. like a, a scenario. So I really love that and, and how we can educate slash entertain and, and giving knowledge uh, to, to the people. So I want to I thank you with this. And I hope we can talk about this again as you get close to maybe uh, releasing the, the actual video TV yeah. piece. Yeah. And, uh, and I, I look forward to see how it is. But
0: yeah, 30, 30. Right, you have... She has to come over here so she can have a cameo, and I'll have a yeah. cameo. Yeah, so. and
2: so and, and Marco, I'm glad you're excited, but imagine how excited I get oh, when I... this stuff has partly come out of my head, and then I see <laughs> Rick and his colleagues. When well, we did this for 2020 and honestly i saw the woman on screen that i had imagined i'm getting goosebumps talking about oh, it because this, yeah, like, this is like this is i'm not i'm not a screenwriter right but i write you know i write these things and and rick's been much more involved in in writing the scenarios this time um which i should say you know the the actual white paper itself will be launched imminently right
0: rick so uh, well it has been launched by the time this goes out
2: yeah, will have been launched by So you'll be able to read the stories before you get to see. You'll be able to go, oh, I, I'm not sure I like the videos as much as I like the book.
0: Person, I imagine Yeah, she wasn't supposed to look like that.
2: Yeah, she didn't, I didn't think she was uh, going to look like that.
0: Do, do they ever?
3: Do they ever? Well, that's, that's the beauty, right? The I mean, we're talking about a complex thing here. It's uh, individuals and society and, and the world and how we all interact with each other. And everybody has their own perspective and and I think what you've done is incredible to think about these scenarios, to think about what could possibly happen, to think about the impact of that to us as individuals, as businesses and society. Uh, incredible amount of work and to bring it all to, together in a story that, that the general population can understand even even better. So hats um, off to I'm, both
0: of you and uh, really I'm appreciate excited.
3: you sharing For with sure. us here.
0: I'm sure Vic is the same. I'm really excited for people to read it because it's been painful. The the opening quarter of 2021 has been painful because we're already seeing really strong signals of some of the stuff that we talked directly mm-hmm. about in the desperately want to be ah, kind of tweeting and saying,
2: we said this was going to happen. Yeah. But you know, right. it's it's also it, I mean it's it's lovely to hear that you think this is really important work. But um, you know what what people don't necessarily realise is how much fun it is doing this. Yeah. right I mean if someone turned around and said to me do you know what you could do this all your life if you wanted to I'd go yeah okay yeah that'd be fine I'll keep imagining stuff that would be lovely
3: that's what I do best exactly let's imagine there are show notes full of links to all this incredible (laughs) stuff and your imagination (laughs) will come true as soon as you uh, connect to this podcast Victoria Rick thanks for chatting with us and uh, everybody stay tuned this episode and and more like it on audio signals on ITSB magazine and Marco thanks to you as well keep me thinking
1: yeah I'm just here for the show (laughs) (laughs) thank you guys
0: thanks for having us thanks a lot Blue Lava is the first business platform for CISOs to manage their security program Blue Lava guides security leaders to effectively measure optimize and communicate their security program with confidence and ease in one platform. Learn more at bluelava.net. Nintex is the global standard for business process management and automation. The Nintex platform helps their clients accelerate progress on their digital transformation journeys by quickly and easily managing, automating, and optimizing business processes.
2: Learn more at nintex.com.